What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 26 of Wise Guys Hideaway. I'm Ian Barr, as always, your host, and uh, we're going to get into this one today. We're going to talk about a pretty significant member of organized crime, as well as, I mean, I'll classify him as a, as a serial killer, but uh, definitely uh, the most reputable hitman, you know, button man, murderer, uh, you know, contractor, mechanic, whatever, whatever terminology you want to use. Uh, this guy was definitely the number one in the mafia. I'm talking about Albert, the Lord High Executioner, Anastasia. Welcome to Wise Guys Hideaway. Let's get into it. That, of course, was Lords of Brooklyn, uh, Lake of Fire. Big shout out to those guys. Uh, I really hope they contact me at some point uh, instead of, you know, suing me for using their song as an intro. But, I mean, that song's so old, I don't even know what those fucking guys are even still around. But moving right along, we're going to dive right into Albert Anastasia here. He was born on September 29th in 1902. Um, He's born in Sicily, like a lot of these, you know, a lot of these original gangsters. And his original name was... Um, Umberto, like Umberto's, you know, Umberto and Astaria, and, uh, I mean, he came from a big family, guys, they, they had 12 kids total, uh, he had eight brothers, three sisters, and then, you know, he made, he made for nine boys, uh, the father, Raphael, died when Albert was only 10 years old, when they were still living in Sicily, and so pretty much almost instantly, Albert being, you know, tough-witted, tough-minded, uh, he quit school when he begins working uh, on the dark docks, uh, at the shipping yards, uh, in the ports, which, I mean, not even an not an easy job nowadays but definitely back in the day it was uh it was only made for those with true grit it was a real real rough neck way of life and uh he does this for about five years and then eventually in 1917 at the age of 15 him and his brother uh anthony anastasia uh who later became known as tough tony anastasia both sort of uh just make a make a voyage for the united states uh and new york city in particular and albert and tony are the only two kids of the Anastasia, you know, family that end up becoming organized crime guys, but boy, do they become organized crime guys. Now, when he touches down in New York City, he's got no money to his name. He doesn't have a very good education. I don't know if he could even read or write, to be honest, for the majority of his life, if not all of his life. And I mean, a lot of these guys couldn't back in this day. So, I mean, it's not a, a big surprise, but Albert Anastasia, what he didn't have in education and, you know, uh, as far as like, uh, upstanding background or not an upstanding background but a privileged background there we go uh because his family actually was blue collar and you know rather good people but for what he lacked and i guess you know the the privilege or the formal sense he made up for with just sheer callousness and toughness albert anastasia is one of the coldest sons of bitches that i mean that ever really crossed paths with anybody i mean he he's re he, he's reputed for roughly a, a guaranteed hundred solid confirmed you know certified bodies but then the legend has it that he's killed you know between two and six hundred i mean i mean evidence wasn't very good back then you guys i mean you could pretty much just fucking leave him where you found him um one of his first murders the most i mean the first noted murder would be uh 1920 so i mean we're talking i mean we're talking 18 year old anastasia working on the docks because i mean he took took right back to the dock work like a fish to water i mean why wouldn't you and 
the mob always ran the docks. I mean, they, they, I mean, still to this day, they have their, their, you know, their hooks into the Longshoremen's Union and, you know, into hijacking cargo freight that comes on and off the boats, as well as gambling operations, loan sharking, blah, blah, you name it. And the one kind of perk about all that for the workers, for just, you know, your blue collar guys was that the mob would look the other way when you would take cargo, you know, everybody's starving, it's 1920, they fucking, you know, everybody needed, you know, a hustle to get their family the little extras, to get their family even fed in some cases, so the mob would look the other way, well, uh, long, longshoremen would rip off the cargo, the only thing was that, you know, it was first come, first serve, and, you know, the, the toughest, the toughest guys on the docks are the ones who got, you know, pick of the litter. And Anastasia was always pretty good about stepping up to bat and, you know, standing up for what he wanted. But uh, on this particular day in 1920, uh, a man by the name of uh, Joe Torino, another longshoreman, decided that he wanted the goods that Albert was planning on taking and sensed that, you know, they couldn't be split, that, you know, somebody somebody had to be the loser. And uh, Anastasia chose it to be Torino, and he stabbed him to death. I mean, he stabbed him, I think, upwards of, you know, 20, 25 times. And then just all the witness reports around said that uh, Anastasia's eyes were one of the coldest things they've ever seen. I mean, and this, this is coming from a time when, like, most people's eyes are pretty cold and people are, like, pretty tough in general. And even back then they were saying, like, the look on Anastasia's face was, it, it was frightening. And so almost, almost before it even begins, Albert Anastasia is sentenced to death by execution and is sent to Sing Sing Prison to sort of sit on the chopping block on death row until, uh, un until it's time to meet his maker. However, during this stretch, uh, a very influential wise guy by the name of uh, Jimmy DeStefano, or Jimmy the Shiv, is uh, a sort of a trustee at Sing Sing, and sort of gets wind of this Albert Anastasia character, Umberto Anastaria, at this point he still is, and sort of begins chit-chatting chat his name to uh, fellow wise guys throughout New York City, one of them in particular being Lucky Luciano, and DeStefano says to Luciano that he really thinks that Albert could be you know, a really key figure to what Luciano's and you know vision of organized crime was. Because I mean, from right from the gate, you could tell that Lucky Luciano was gonna do something next level, even as a criminal. You know, it didn't matter what he did; if he'd have went legit, that guy'd have been the CEO of one of the Fortune 500 companies that we all shovel money to. But nonetheless, you know, so Jimmy the Shiv tells Lucky, you know, this Albert kid, he's he's stitched up for murder. They're going to put him down, but I think we could really use him. And after serving only a mere 18 months of what's supposed to be a, you know, an execution stay, uh, all the witnesses in Albert Anastasia's uh, murder case disappear and he's paroled on a technicality. Stepping out of prison, not knowing that uh, he's now a sort of a member of the American Mafia or what's going to become the American Mafia. It's still the Mafia, but they weren't really, you know calling it that, you know, Cosa Nostra, but they had real old-timey ways, the Sicilian bosses, the mustache, Pete Air guys, they were real, I mean, just real hard asses, you know what I mean? They forbid their their guys from, you know, working with Jewish or Irish or, you know, uh, African-American gangsters. Uh, some of them even had a problem if you were, like, uh, Italian, like you were from, uh, uh, what is it, is it Naples? No, 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 Naples is in Sicily. Uh... I don't know, I can't think of a town in Italy right now, but <laughs> but nonetheless, if you were from Italy, the actual, you know, country like the boot, and not Sicily, the little rock that's being kicked by the boot, there was sort of that turmoil, 
in this time period too. That turmoil was still always there. But I mean, it was actually like a people would forbid their men from working with people just because simply where they were from or their ethnicity or religion or. And Luciano wasn't about that. He's all like, you know, we're all criminals. We can all, you know, yeah, stick to your own, like, you know, only trust your own, I guess. But, I mean, not really, because he trusted Lansky. So what am I talking about? Nonetheless, Luciano was ahead of his time, and Anastasia was luckier and luckier and shit that he kind of fell into his lap. So, when from the time he touches down in 1920 to about 1923, Anastasia is uh, reputed with 30 hits for you know, the mafia, he goes right back to the docks, I mean, obviously, the docks is sort of like Anastasia's home, but this time he begins bootlegging and working for Luciano, as well as other guys like uh, Frank Costello, Beetle Genovese, Meyer Lansky, Bugsy Siegel, he sort of pals in with all those guys and starts learning the ropes, loan sharking, you know, uh, shaking down deadbeats, uh, gambling operations, the numbers, all sorts of things like that. Um, in April of 1923, uh, Albert and, uh, another wise guy are open fired on during sort of, uh, like a half-ass car chase. Uh, I do believe they were out bootlegging and Anastasia merely escapes. Uh, but in that same year, he's eventually convicted of a gun charge and he's sent back to prison until around 1925. Now around this era, things are starting to get hairy and the uh, Kessler Mercy Wars are right on the horizon, you know, from 1923 to 1931. Uh, Luciano and all those guys, I mean, they, they were really going to the mattresses, fucking just singing bullets all over New York City. They were, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of bodies caught in the Kessler Mercy Wars. But Luciano eventually figured out a way to put an end to it, and that was by taking out, uh, you know, the old timers, the old guard, including the boss, his own boss, uh, Joe the Boss Mazzaria. Uh, which he did by sort of setting up a, a coup to where he goes to their rival, Sal, Salvatore Maranzano, and says that he'll work for him and in turn wants to be the head of his own family and all families to be equal. Maranzano agrees, and on April 15th, 1931, Joe the Boss Mazzaria is lured, lured to uh, a restaurant, Coney Island, one of his favorite uh, seafood joints, uh, Tomarcio's uh, Seafood Restaurant. And as they eat, they, uh, they begin shuffling a hand of pinochle, Luciano excuses himself to the restroom, which is the sign for the hitman to come in. Uh, hitman, you know, by name would be Joe Adonis, Vito Genovese, and then nonetheless, Albert Anastasia. And this is sort of where Anastasia really makes his mark to Luciano. And like, I mean, even though he had killed fucking like 30 something people before this, this is where he quote unquote would make his bones really, you know, to uh, set himself up to become sort of the overseer of what was on its way. He would sit out on the Sal Maranzano hit, though. That's because Jewish gangsters were used on Salvatore Maranzano hit because uh, they disguised themselves as a taxman. And Maranzano, being the anti-Semitic, you know, old-timey Don that he was, bought, you know, well, I mean, of course Jews are taxmen, but there, there wouldn't be any, there wouldn't be any uh, olive oil, you know, good old Italian or Sicilian taxman. He wouldn't have thought back then. So they eventually kill him in September of the same year, 1931, and Luciano forms the commission. The commission is set up by a board of directors, you know, the, the five families of New York. You have the board of directors that oversee Chicago, Milwaukee, uh, Montreal. I mean, the, the commission begins to come to a, a flourishing. <laughs> I didn't even mean to rhyme that one. but And, of course, an enforcement branch has to be set up. So what better way than, you know, by sort of cross-pollinating gangsters? You got Jewish, you got Italian, you got, you know, whatever you need to form Murder, Inc. Now, Murder, Incorporated 
is reported with killing between 600 and 1,000 people during their sort of reign of terror from 1931 to about 1940, 41, 42, up to 44, most of the guys uh, are being executed. Their main headquarters was in Brownsville, Brooklyn, out of a little all-night candy store where the fellows would sit, you know, play pinochle, smoke cigarettes, you know, sip cocktails, and wait for phone calls to come in of people who needed to be dispersed of. Uh, this would be headed by Albert, you know, the Mad Hatter Anastasia. He would oversee everything along with fellow mob boss Lepke Buchalter, and they would set up a sort of a elite team of hitmen, uh, some of them uh, as listed, Abe Kid Twist Rellis, Harry Pittsburgh Phil Strauss, uh, Harry Happy Mayoni, uh, Martin Bugsy Goldstein, uh, Charles, Charles Bugs Workman, uh, Mandy Weiss, uh, and Frank Abandondo. All, all big time hitters. Um, all big time hitters. But eventually, Abe Kid Twist Rellis uh, ends up turning informant on the gang and. Lepke Bookhalter is executed March 4th, 1944, only mob boss to ever be executed. Uh, Harry Pittsburgh, Phil Strauss, June 1941, he's executed. Uh, Harry Happy Mayoni, February 1942, he's executed. Martin Bugsy Goldstein, June 1941, he was executed. Charles Bugs Workman uh, actually received a life sentence in prison and ended up dying of natural cause in 1979. He's one of the only ones to avoid the electric chair. Mendy Weiss was killed March 1944 by execution. Same with Frank Abandondo, February 1942 by execution. And uh, all this was due to the testimony of Abe Kid Twist Rellis, who would eventually fall to his death before being able to testify against Albert Anastasia. It was ruled a suicide for a long time, but we all know what it was. The five policemen hired to guard his room all said they happened to fall asleep, and uh, it appears somebody threw him out of a window. Uh, the way they sort of claimed suicide was there was a sheet you know, thrown out the window, and what they were saying, the, you know, the legend, was that Abe Kid Twisrellis was trying to climb down to climb through another window, come back up to his room, and sort of play a prank on the police officers, but I just, I just don't see that. I mean, Anastasia, this wouldn't be the first time Anastasia dealt with no witness, no indictment. I mean, 1932, Anastasia's indicted for murder, stabbing a longshoreman with an ice pick, and all the witnesses disappear and nothing happens because of it. 1933 is indicted for murder again from gunning down uh, a grocery store. And these are all hits he personally did, by the way, too, not ones that he ordered. Uh, 1939, he kills another longshoreman. And, you know, yet again, even even though he's indicted and brought in for all of these, nothing ever comes of it. I mean, it just, it, I'm, it's miraculous, really. <laughs> um, in 1935, Luciano and Lepke Bookhalter are sort of the, the, the big names, but they're having a problem with the rival, not the rival, but sort of the guy that is causing problems for the mob, Dutch Schultz. Uh, and Anastasia is actually very co close with Dutch Schultz. He even helped Dutch Schultz when Dutch Schultz was facing uh, tax evasion charges and wanted to sort of stake out and put a hit on uh, public prosecutor Thomas E. Dewey. And Anastasia stalked out Thomas E. Dewey's house, even going so far as to getting a fake baby carriage to, you know, pretend to be a loving, doting father to get closer to Dewey to throw him off his guard. But the commission would get wind of it, eventually sent Anastasia down, let him know that that wasn't happening, and Charles Workman and uh, Mandy Weiss would end up killing Dutch Schultz uh, eventually. Now, as much as they figured getting rid of Dutch was good for them, it was actually bad for them. Lepke and Luciano became key fucking targets for Thomas E. Dewey. 
And uh, eventually on June 7, 1936, Luciano was convicted of multiple counts of forced prostitution and given 30 to 50 years. Um, I mean, as we said before, Lepke Bullcalter is eventually uh, convinced by Anastasia, who actually hides him for quite a while, to turn himself in, you know? And, I mean, eventually on August 24, 1939, Lepke actually did, but it would serve him no justice. He would eventually be executed in 1944. Uh, when he was asked during his arrest, uh, you know, where are, where are your powerful and influential friends now, Mr. Mr. Buckhalter? Uh, Lepke actually quietly replied, uh, I'm beginning to wonder. Uh, but a kid to his would really be what brought Murder, Inc. down, uh, in 1940 when he began turning. But, I mean, as I said, on November 12, 1941, he was killed by being thrown out of a hotel window. However, a lot of the damage had been done. Um... But before that stretch in around 1937 is when uh, Albert Anastasia marries uh, Eliza uh, Barnassi. And the couple eventually end up having four children, two sons, two daughters. Uh, and they stay married until the, the time of his death. And I don't know if Albert Anastasia was ever really a guma, girl on the side type of guy. He, I mean, the only thing he really seemed to be super, super passionate about was fucking killing people. And making sure that witnesses got dealt with. Um... Elsa always stated that her husband was a, a dressmaker, a, a businessman, a, a churchgoer, home by nine, didn't drink, yada, yada, yada. Eventually, after his execution, or his murder, not his, yeah, I mean, it's an execution, of sorts. she would uh, change her name back to Barnassi, and she would move back to Canada, where she was originally from. Um, yeah, I mean, like, as I said, it was sort of a, one of those weird ones where he, he didn't seem like he did a lot of running around on his wife or nothing like that. Um, during the 40s, along with Murder, Inc. going down in 1942, uh, Anastasia joins the Army and is uh, a tech sergeant, actually, in the Army, because he's trying to make his citizenship, you know, official. Uh, which, by the way, he changed his name from Umberto Anastasia to Albert Anastasia shortly after he got out of prison the first time. I meant to say that earlier. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, he... he was a citizen by 1943, and then he was discharged from the Army in 1944 due to his age. Although he did help a great deal on the waterfronts, both in New York City and in Sicily, uh, you know, fighting World War II, you know, sort of helping the entire world do what the entire world planned to do. And that was shut the Nazis the fuck down because even even gangsters were like, all right, we got it. Like, obviously, they're still getting something out of it. They're not. These ain't good fellas or nothing like they're good fellas, but they ain't nice fellas. But nonetheless, everybody wanted the Nazis to chill the fuck out. You know what I mean? Uh, by 1945, he moves to the, the Palace Cliffs in New Jersey, and his mansion just is a fortress. I mean, way more than he can claim to make in a hundred lifetimes as a dress contractor and a, and a cheese wholesale businessman or whatever the fuck he said he was. And, uh, I mean, they would, they would eventually uh, convict him on tax evasion. They tried constantly, but uh, a lot of people they tried to bring forward. It was really hard because uh, April 1954... Anastasia has his bodyguard killed because he knows too much about the finances. Uh, May 1955, a plumber and his wife disappear and are never seen again because legend has it that they, you know, figured out too much about Anastasia. So the IRS tried and tried and tried to take him down, but it was, I mean, it was a hard go of it. Um, eventually, after Murder, Inc., Anastasia goes to work for Vincent Mangano, who is the head of his own family, is one of the original commission members. Uh, and Anastasia and Mangano get along as uh, about as well as uh, John Gotti and Paul Castellano. There's just always 
always turmoil. There's always uh, sort of talking submersive. And eventually, Anastasia uh, has Mangano and his brother Philip uh, murdered in April 1951. They disappeared, so they could never prove Vincent. But uh, Philip Mangano was found uh, a couple months later, floating up, floating ashore. Uh, the commission instantly believes it was Anastasia, wants to put him down like a dog, uh, calls a meeting, but luckily Anastasia still got friends in high places. I mean, Luciano's gone, Bulkhalter's gone, but Frank Costello is still around, uh, as is uh, Vito Genovese, but the, I mean, the two of them never really, but Frank Costello, you know, the prime minister, he kept things kosher for Anastasia, and eventually Anastasia was pronounced the boss of the Mangano family and then renamed it the Anastasia, Anastasia family. Um, Albert Anastasia, I mean, he he sort of sets up a barrage of future big-time mafioso. I mean, he was a, a, a good teacher and a good mentor to guys like uh, Anil Della Croce, uh, he, as well as uh, sort of mentoring uh, Gambino and making him his underboss eventually, even though he was abusive towards Gambino. And actually, it was reported to have slapped him one time. Uh, Anastasia just kept burning bridges and slowly pissed Genovese off more and more. Eventually, Genovese made the move on Costello, uh, you know, with Vincent de Chen. This one's for you, Frank, attempting to take over that family. And that put Costello on the move. And, you know, so Genovese is working his way in then. And Gambino is sort of playing out a, a an image in his head of how his relationship with his boss is going to go. Because if there's anything Albert Anastasia taught, taught, taught Carlo Gambino about taking over a crime family, it was that the boss, the boss before he's got to go. Even though uh, Luciano made it a rule that you don't kill that you don't kill a mob boss, but I mean, how are you supposed to become boss if you don't? You know, I mean, it is what it is, you guys. It just, I mean, this ain't the fucking haberdashery business. Uh, what would really put Anastasia on the chopping block and make the commission be like, yeah, fuck it, kill him, was in 1952. Um, there was this individual by the name of Arnold Schuster uh, on February 20th, 1952, exactly to be honest. Uh, Arnold Schuster followed. Uh, Willie Sutton, who was a sort of a knock-around wise guy and a bank robber. And eventually he uh, sort of led to his capture by, you know, informing, ratting, snitching, whatever you want to call him. Arnold Schuster is just a regular Joe Schmo, run-of-the-mill guy, young young gung-ho, I'd probably want to be a detective in the future type guy. And Albert Anastasia seen the, the news broadcast of Arnold Schuster, you know, sort of giving, giving his commentary on the situation and was thoroughly insulted and ordered uh, actually declared i hate squealers kill them that was those were supposedly his words and you know job hath been done and anastasia is called the yet another commission meeting uh you know because killing killing civilians is not in the mob's protocol uh, same i mean say with killing law enforcement they just weren't that just wasn't a big thing for them it brought too much heat it slows business down these guys are all about making money blood blood's a big thing you know but blood's also a big fucking expense you know uh, I forget who said it, but uh, we only kill each other. I, for, I forget which gangster uh, said that first, first and foremost. I think fucking we only kill. I think it was Bugsy Siegel. I think it was Bugsy Siegel. I'm not 100%, but I know, I know I've stated it before on other podcasts, but that's when I had it jotted in the notes and was 100%. But I do think it was Bugsy Siegel. And I mean, I mean, after that, 1952, I mean, Anastasia was just fucking batting a thousand to try to land himself in an early grave. Uh, eventually, in 1955, he is convicted of tax evasion. And uh, I do believe he served a little bit of time on that. I'm not sure how much, maybe up to a year. I don't know. Those guys always seem to like pay their way out of the tax evasion, minus Capone and a few others. 
And I mean, yeah, Anastasia would just keep burning bridges and thinking that he was untouchable and that he was the Lord High Executioner. He was the Mad Hatter. He was, you know, and that would all eventually come to light in, uh, on October 25th, 1957 in the Park Sheridan Hotel Barbershop, actually. Which, ironically enough, uh, rewind almost 30 years, 31 years, back to 1928. And big time gambler and, you know, sort of the mob, uh, the mob thinking tank. Or the the original mob thinking tank, like before the commissions formed, Arnold Rothstein sort of bred all those guys into being as business savvy as they were. Arnold Rothstein was killed in the same hotel over a what would be, I think, like a two million dollar card game or something like that. He was down and he ended up getting ahead and he wanted to quit and yeah, it didn't play out. Uh, so Arnold Rothstein was killed in the same hotel and now fast forward thirty years. October 25th, 1957, in the Park Sheridan Hotel Barbershop, gets to gets to witness, uh, up until Paul Castellano, I guess up until Joe Colombo, before, long before Paul Castellano, but definitely uh, the most notable mob boss hit at that period in time. Uh, much more so than anybody up, you know, up till his death. Some, ah, the other ones weren't really, some of them were publicized. You know, you had like the St. Valentine's Day massacre, stuff like that. But bosses, bosses being taken out was more like how the Manganos sort of disappeared. I mean, Joe the Boss, Mazzaria, Sal Maranzano, but that, I mean, those were old-timey Dons. It's a whole different, but like since the commission forming, this was probably the biggest, of course, Nostra boss to be taken out. And especially the spectacle he was taken out in. He's getting a hot shave. His bodyguard, you know, goes for a walk or what have you. He's getting a hot shave and they put a hot towel on his face and they face him towards the mirror like you would in barbershop. Uh, they say, they say there was three shooters. Some say there was two either, either way. Uh, the Gallo brothers, you know, crazy Joe Gallo, young, crazy Joe Gallo, young Larry Blasgallo, kid Blasgallo come barging in. Uh, now, uh, Persico might've been with them. I'm uncertain. I've, there's sort of lore, but the one constant is that the Gallo brothers for sure were involved in the Albert Anastasia murder. And they come bursting through the door, uh, opening up, you know, 30, 32s, 38s. And Anastasia begins uh, hearing bullets, you know, shatter the mirrors, and they begin, you know, ripping into him. He stands up, and he looks, and he sees his assailants in the mirror, but he feels as if, though, they're dead ahead of him because of all the confusion and chaos. So he lunges towards the mirror, and I don't know if he like bashed his head into the mirror or not, but he lunged straight towards the mirror, putting his back to them and giving them the ample opportunity to open him up. They hit him, I think, uh, four, four or five times in the body, and then I do believe uh, once in the head, maybe twice in the head. And that was all she wrote for the lower head executioner. You know, I mean, the Mad Hatter was gone. He was gone, and he was not missed. He was so not missed, only 12 would attend his funeral, uh, you know, which really, really shows that you've been ousted when... Only 12 people attend your funeral. Him, Carmine Galante had a similar setup, you know, because guys like guys like Gotti and Gambino and guys like that go in. I mean, their funerals are immense. Uh, I think Genovese's was rather small, too, because he was quite a prick while he was alive as well. But, yeah, only 12 people attended Anastasia's funeral, you know, and not a single and not a single mob chieftain was there. It, like, they really wanted it to be clear that he had been ousted long before he was gunned down the way he was. And, uh, I mean... But tis a tis a blessing for some when there's a curse for others because in this sort of 
trial time in the mafia in this early point and like you know the commission's only been around for a stretch there's only been a handful of you know bosses genovese and gambino both sort of made their moves during the same time frame and eventually would embellish the families that became theirs and still hold their names uh, is the Luciano family, and I do believe Luciano was kept through Costello because that I mean, the press probably called it the Costello family, but I think Luciano or uh, Costello was called it the Luciano family still. But that eventually gets taken over and, and dubbed into the Genovese family, and it still holds that name. Same with the Mangano family, uh, is taken over by Anastasia, he dubs it the Anastasia family, and then he's slain like the dog that he was, and uh, Carlo Gambino takes over and it's redubbed the Gambino family. and it still holds its name, you know? So it just goes to show when uh, when you're too ruthless and you're too cutthroat and you're too callous that, you know, not only are they not going to care when it's, you know, a question of whether or not they kill you, you're not even going to... They're, they're going to try to almost erase you from their history, as it were. Although it was hard to do with Albert because... When Gambino took over, there was a lot of Anastasia loyalists who were ha unhappy about how Gambino sort of got commission approval to take out Albert Anastasia, Anil Della Croce being one of them. That's why growing up, you know, he always told stories of Anastasia as like a, a true man's man. You know, Anil Della Croce always respected his boss and had nothing but love for Carlo, but he was an Anastasia supporter 100% during that time period. A lot of people were. <laughs> a lot of people didn't think... Uh, didn't think Gambino, you know, really had what it took to run the crime family. But I mean, I mean, talking, talking the just the real Don Corleone, the real Godfather, pretty much. I mean, it's not who the movie was based on, but Carlo Gambino's nickname was the Godfather. His funeral had you know twenty two hundred people as opposed to the twelve, you know, of Anastasia. He was loved and you know respected and cherished by many. But this is Anastasia's bit, so we'll save Gambino for another time. Maybe he'll be next. Maybe he's not. Gambino's my favorite, by the way, you guys. Like, when you hear me sort of embellish Carlo Gambino, I just, uh, I, I don't know. He To me, he was the smartest mafia boss to ever live, and I'll explain why I feel that way when his episode comes. But for now, you know, the tale of Anastasia, the, a.k.a. the Mad Hatter, a.k.a. the Lord High Executioner. True, true nickname given by the papers. Uh... Yeah, that's that, as well as the, the Murder, Inc. clan. Uh, probably delve a little more into a Murder, Inc. episode and explain each soldier a little more when they were born, what they did. But nonetheless, uh, it's been real, you guys. Big shout-out to Our Thing Clothing Apparel. Uh, big shout-out to the original Gangster Podcast, Scott M. Bernstein, uh, author Larry Mazza of the book The Life. You know, my boy Ronnie Cockroach, uh, David Randazzo out there in GR, holding it down. Appreciate all you do for a player. Uh, who else we got? James Ramirez, Boston Rob, you know what I mean? Paulie G in New York, how you doing? You know, big shout out to all those guys, man. Everybody out here listening, everybody that's subscribing, you know, if you listen to me on Anchor or Spotify or whatever the heck you listen to me on, you know, if you, hey, if you just, you know, share my shit on Facebook and you've never even listened, I still appreciate you. And hopefully one day you click, you lazy motherfuckers. Uh, I do apologize to those who enjoyed the two episodes I managed to get on YouTube gotta get a new way of filming i had two phones i was working with kevin gates status but now i just have one phone the other one fell out of my pocket climbing a cell phone tower so oh big shout out to them too a big shout out to augusta tower for continuing to employ me and uh let me climb super 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 high up and do crazy shit and uh you know keeping a motherfucker with money in his pocket so i can do shit like this 
Hell yeah, man. From everybody here at Wise Guys Hideaway, I love you. Take her easy.